Capital Theatres, in association with the Traverse Theatre, presents When the Sun Meets the Sky by Robbie Gordon and Jack Nurse. Episode 4 Now, the final chapter. You'll probably be listening to this thinking, right, here's where I'm going to get the answers to all my questions. But the likelihood is you will not. Real life doesn't have those neat little bows that tie up at the end. At least, that's what Maggie thinks. Maggie the Miracle's life has been punctuated by this mystery. Swerving in and out of focus at random junctures. A question that has sat on her periphery for generations. Three quarters of a century. A lifetime. Who is he? Ever since she found out his name 20 years ago, she hasn't been able to let it go. And every time she saw her mum before she sadly passed away. Maggie would ask the question... Who is Donald? But never receive any answers. At first, her mum's response was to sing Donald Wears Your Trousers. Then she took to changing the subject to the weather or Rosie. And by the end, she just didn't answer at all, looking off into the distance as if she hadn't heard the question. Clark said Donald was an entertainer, but after some digging, Maggie found out the home didn't have any record of his visit, which unnerved her further. Clark left his job at the home soon afterwards to go back down south, and she's never heard from him since. She always liked Clark, but she can't help thinking he knew more than he let on. Another dead end. Maggie even asked her mum's various other carers over the year to keep an eye out for the mysterious man, like a private detective's ears on the ground or something. But Donald had just vanished. Again. Every time Maggie walks along the meadows, even if she is half distracted by her grandkids, we Keir and Iona, she always has one eye looking out for the man with the blonde hair, open mouth stare and eyes dark like a shark. It's a joy to have the wee ones in her life, long since retired, without her mum or Rosie to look after. Maggie has a blissful focus on watching them grow up. It's spring 2012, by the way. The daffodils are out. The clocks have changed, backwards, forwards, who knows, and the country is gripped by Olympic fever. Or so the papers say. Maggie couldn't care less if she tried. She might be more interested in the billion-pound London games if Edinburgh Council would pick her bloody bins up on time. Rosie used to make fun of Maggie and say that she was slowly turning into her mum, but now that Maggie has fully morphed into a loving but slightly crabby old woman, Rosie has stopped. 
it might also be to do with the fact that Rosie herself has the habit of the odd bitter comment, much to Keir and Iona's amusement, life and genetics taken their toll. Maggie's inherited more than just her mother's doer nature. She's prone to getting a wee bit confused in her old age. She remembers the past like it was yesterday, but things like what she's had for dinner or where she's put her slippers are becoming harder to hold on to. Last year, Rosie bought Maggie a laptop because she was a wee bit worried about her mum forgetting things and being on her own all the time. She bought it when Maggie talked about always looking forward to the postman coming round for the wee chat she gets. But with her laptop, she can now keep in contact with her best friend Nancy, who has moved all the way to Australia. She's finally taken the plunge after talking about it for all those years. Technology is quite amazing, really. Words going all the way around the world in the click of your finger. You can even send pictures now. And with her new laptop, she's joined the Facebook as a way to connect the dots from all her different jobs and pastimes over the years. It's hard to meet new people at her age. Trust me, I know myself. She has 43 friends on the Facebook, but they don't count as real friends. Oh, she would love to be friends with 43 people, but she rarely gets to see Nancy since she moved away. She does get sent loads of photos now, though, and that's nice, but it's not the same as her being there. Maggie loves all the different groups and pages you get on the Facebook. Thousands and many communities all connecting about things. There's a page for everything, whether you like history or a place or a person. And there's even one that just tells you if it's raining in Edinburgh or not. Yes or no, that's all they post. Magic! It's different to the type of community she grew up with, but it does make her feel less lonely. She finds a page called Lost Edinburgh, and it's got all sorts of pictures on it. The Portobelli Pool, an old black and white photo of a horse and carriage outside the King's, folk ice skating next to Arthur's seat, a bike race from the 1970 Commonwealth Games, the old maroon buses, Waverley Station, Clint Eastwood at the Cameo, George McNeil racing at Powder Hall, Bob Dylan on Princess Street. Then she sees something much more familiar. Wednesday, 6.30 and 8.50, in person, The Beatles. At the ABC Cinema. She instantly shares it on Nancy's page, a skill that Iona taught her that took hours to master, as a reminder of one of the best nights of their lives. Maggie's eyes light up in the glow of the screen. I was there. She reads the comments. I was working that concert. That was a nightmare. Two friends and myself skipped school. 
and got thrown out. Think I mean this pick. Lol. And one more comment. What a smashing night. Maggie takes a sharp deep breath. And it isn't the words that alarm her. It's the name. Donald Stewart. Maggie's slender frame freezes. She clicks on the profile picture and she almost chokes on her tea. It's him. Tall guy, dark eyes, white hair, which after a quick flick through his pictures, Maggie discovers used to be blonde. It's him, the man, the boy, who has always plagued her thoughts. Donald is 50 years older, blonde hair turned to white, but those shark eyes pierce through the screen. And now she has another clue. It's the longest game of Cluedo she's ever played, but it isn't Colonel Mustard in the ballroom. It's Donald Stewart in the meadows, at the ABC and in the care home. She flicks through his profile pictures. There's Donald Stewart in a variety of places, but with the same expression every time, smiling. This ghost, this person she knows but doesn't. He's looking at her and he's smiling. There's multiple pictures in the same location. A pub. Nothing better than a pint in the local. And tagged is the Port Elith. She's passed it a million times before, but never gone in. Until now. She gets up, grabs her bag and bus pass. She jumps on the number 14 to Muir House and heads to Leith. The whole way there, she is breathing heavily. Panicked, but full of energy that drives her towards her destination. She thinks about what she'll say, what she'll do, and how he lacked. It's a public place, she tells herself. It's safe. And after today, she will have answers. She gets off at the Kirkett Centre and heads towards Constitution Street with a determination in her walk. She feels massive. Like an adventurer, like how she used to feel when she was wee, hot on the scent of a mystery that today she will solve. She passes the foot of the walk, the Kirkett Flats and the parish church with a frog in her throat and 50 years worth of questions. But the main one is... Who is he? She charges forward. She passes Leith Police Station. There's no going backwards now, only forwards. This is it. She can see the pub in the near distance. The Porto Leith. She looks up and sees the sun in the sky. First time she's seen it in months. It's warm enough to be out without a jacket and there's a nice spring breeze too, which carries her into the pub. She gets inside, expecting to see him straight away, but there's only a couple of lonely men drinking in the corner who look as if they're part of the furniture in this pub. Then a tall barman approaches. You lost or something? No, I'm not bloody lost. I'm waiting on someone. Well, what are you having, hen? I was just looking for someone, that's all. Right. 
So, do you want a drink? Yes, please. A lime and soda. Maggie doesn't drink, you see. Not after watching what I did to her mum. That would be enough to boot anyone off. Clinging to the bottle and drowning in it every time October came round. Maggie sits and nurses her lime and soda, but Donald never comes. She sits there as the pub gets busy and dies down again around her. She goes home and comes back. The same bus, the 14 to Muir House. Same again? Lyman. What was it again the last time? Soda. Yes, that's it. Lyman soda. Crowds fill the space and dissipate like she's the only still thing in there, the only constant. She goes home and goes back. 14 to Muir House, Constitution Street. Lime and soda. She goes home and goes back. Crowds swell, people come and people go. She goes home and goes back. She becomes like a rock. Lime and soda. She is stone. Lime and soda. Part of the walls here, part of the brick. Lime and soda. Waiting, watching. Days go by. Every day she arrives at lunchtime, sits in the corner with her drink and doesn't take her eyes off the door. And every time someone comes in, her heart skips a beat. Her body reacts involuntarily with a force she feels but doesn't fully understand. Then, one day, just when our hope is fading, the wooden door opens slowly and in steps a man. Seventy-odd, maybe a couple of years older than Maggie, with white hair, an open-mouthed stare, and eyes dark like a shark. Donald. Donald's eyes meet Maggie's eyes, and his knees buckle. He knows instantly who she is. Donald? She's waited so long that there's a calm in her. It's her space now. She is this space. She's the regular. It's her local, not his. He's the one on the back foot. She is Maggie, Queen of the Port of Leith now, formerly the Queen of the Meadows, sat in front of a man that she has a million questions for and she's waiting for the answer to the most important one. Who are you? And so Donald tells Maggie a story. It's a story much like the one I've been telling you. It's a special story. It's a story about a young boy from Causewayside. It's a story about a boy separated from his mother. It's a story about a boy separated from his sister. It's a story about a man without a family. It's my story. I'm your big brother, Maggie. And I sit here in the Port of Leith and I tell my wee sister Maggie everything. I tell her for the first time in her life that Dad left and took me because I was a laddie. 
and I was half, half of me and Maggie. Nothing more, nothing less. My dad died in the war. He didn't even go to fight. He claimed to be a pacifist, but he was a lazy beggar. No, he was a good man, a hero. He wasn't a good man, Maggie. And he definitely wasn't a hero. He met someone else and left. October 1940. Why should I believe you? Because if you're anything like me, you've probably always known that something was missing. When I fell off that wall by the park and cracked my head, you left me lying there. I took you straight to sick kids. Then Dad scalped me and told me to never go near you again. What about at the Beatles concert? You chased me. To speak to you. To tell you the truth after all those years. You scared me. I wanted to put that right. I looked about outside all night trying to find you. I thought about you all the time. I'd sit there and work or at the pub or something, thinking about where my sister is and if she even knows I exist. It was like I had my eyes closed and my hand stretched out, hoping that you'd grab it. And when I saw you that night, after all those years, I had the chance to put things right. This doesn't make sense. I hate what they did to us, tore us apart. A brother shouldn't be without a sister... You were too young to remember, but I was too old to forget. I did always feel like there was something missing. I decided to track Mum down years ago. I know. I waited. Waited for a Donald to appear again, but nothing. Why did you only visit her once? It was after Dad died that I went to find her. Went to the old house. Neighbours told me about the care home, and that's where I went. It was like I was looking for a bit of closure or something like that, but I realised it was futile. It wasn't that she decided not to have me in her life. It was that she couldn't. She'd forgotten me. I told her my name, and she sang this daft song... The whole idea of trying to make contact and reunite Nark, it was a fantasy. So in the end, I felt empty and lost and even more alone than before I arrived. I spoke to the young lad working in the care room. I made him promise me that he wouldn't tell you anything. I begged. I didn't want to ruin your life that she had ruined mine. And the young man obviously knew the pain it would cause you if you found out. Clearly he stuck to his word. I didn't feel good about that chapter of my life, lying like that. But it hurt, realising I didn't have any family anymore. I was too late. You're not too late. Maggie the Miracle takes my hand and says... You do have a family, Donald. You have me? I was scared too. And that's why I stayed away. I was feared you'd be the same as Mama. But you're not. You're like me, Maggie. We've only just met. When Una 
nothing about each other. Well, I know we can both bell out a tune. How do you know that? I've always remembered you singing in the meadows. I don't sing anymore. I lost the bottle for it. Have a wee drink then. I don't drink. So I go to the bar and I ask the tall barman for a tea bag, a whiskey glass with some water in it and a bit of ice. I take it back to my sister, dip the tea bag in the water, wait a wee second until the water browns, and with a wink I say, Have a wee drink, it'll make it easier. Maggie takes a drink, and we sing together. We sing for the days together we lost, that are behind us now, and we sing for all the days still to come. Maggie solved her mystery, and the best part about it is that there's so many more stories to tell each other than this one, a whole lifetime's worth, and new ones too. Here, it turns out a miracle can happen twice. And that's the end of the story. It's Maggie's story, it's my story, and it's yours now too. I hope you enjoyed it. It ends with me and my family, Maggie, Rosie, wee Keir and Iona, out on the meadows. Maggie's standing where she first met the boy, me, all those years ago on a warm summer's day just like this one. There's no longer something missing and everything feels right. I breathe in the air. And I breathe it in too. And despite all the years apart, I feel connected to my family. They care about me. I care about them. And that's all that matters. In When the Sun Meets the Sky, Donald was played by Tam Dean Byrne. Maggie was played by Rebecca Lumsden and Maureen Beatty. Maggie's mum was played by Irene Allen. Clark was played by Mason Clark Whale. Nancy was played by Rihanna MacDonald. The barman was played by Robbie Gordon. With cameos played by participants from Capital Theatre's dementia-friendly community. Ian Lawrence. Sheila Godman. Edith Donnelly and Beverly Groves. With thanks to the members of the Capital Theatre's dementia-friendly community, whose life stories and expertise contributed to the making of When the Sun Meets the Sky. When the Sun Meets the Sky is a Capital Theatre's production in association with the Traverse Theatre. When the Sun Meets the Sky was written by Robbie Gordon and Jack Nurse, with dramaturgy by Eleanor White. Composition, sound design and mixing was by Van Ives, with additional sound recording by Ruri Dunn, directed by Jack Nurse. Accompanying sensory resource boxes are created by Dr Alex Howard and Dawn Irvin. To request a sensory box, see the details on Capital Theatre's website. The play was funded by Creative Scotland and Doily Cart Charitable Trust. Capital Theatres is a registered Scottish charity number SC018605. 
The Traverse Theatre Scotland Limited is a registered Scottish charity, number SC002368, and is supported by Creative Scotland and the City of Edinburgh Council.